Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our ears that your word may enter, take root, and help it to bear fruit in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as I said earlier, I'm Pastor Aaron Rickert, campus pastor at Lutheran South Academy, uh, and I am the new face in the room. So if you have any visitors today, uh, I don't know your visitors because I don't know anybody here. Um, so I'm, I'm the new guy in the room, so I thought instead of just uh, starting with, with the, the new unfamiliar face, I'd put a couple familiar faces up for you that, that you've probably seen before. We know who those are, right? You know who those are? Roadrunner, and who's the other guy? The Coyote, right? Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. Uh, there, there's a new incarnation of this cartoon for, for the kids today that are watching. Uh, when I was a kid, this was a cartoon. You like that cartoon? Right? There's a, a cartoon that I watched this when I was a kid. Uh, my parents watched it when they were kids. Uh, I would guess maybe my grandparents even watched it when they were kids. I mean, these two have been around for a long time, right? And, and no matter how long they've been around, the story never really changes, does it? I mean, every episode is, is basically the same thing. Every episode, uh, you got the roadrunner who's zipping around in the desert, you know, meet, meet, he's all over the place. Uh, and then you've got the coyote who always wants to catch the roadrunner. But the coyote always has some sort of elaborate scheme that he's going to use to catch the roadrunner. And so uh, maybe he puts on roller skates with rockets on the back of him. Maybe he rides, rides a rocket he's going to get. Or he puts on the skis with the rockets on the back of him. Or maybe he sets up a big, a big trap of some kind. He puts, uh, puts a slingshot out. He's got a, a, the rock on the slingshot all ready to go. It's going to catapult. It's going to slap down on the roadrunner when the roadrunner gets there or something like that. Or, or maybe he's got uh, something like a big net set up and the roadrunner is going to go running around and he's going to catch the roadrunner in the net. I mean, every episode is, is the coyote doing something outlandish to try and catch the roadrunner. And every episode ends the same way. What always happens? He always gets caught in his own trap, right? He's got the big rock set up, and the rock's supposed to come slapping down on top of the roadrunner, and inevitably, that rock's going to come slapping down on top of him, right? Or he's got the big net set up, and the roadrunner's going to go running off the cliff and fall into the net, and in inevitably, he's always the one falling off the cliff and getting caught in his own trap for, for I guess I should have looked it up, I don't know, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years of coyote and roadrunner, the story's never changed. The coyote always gets caught in his own trap. And I want you to keep that in mind as we think about the book of James. Is that me? I want you to keep that in mind as we think about the book of James. So the book of James. Um, James is written by James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. All right, so when we read through the Gospels, we hear about the disciples, and we hear there's Peter, James, and John are always the ones who get to go with Jesus farther into the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter, James, and John get to go up on the mountain and see Jesus transfigured. Uh, this is not that James. This is James, the brother of Jesus. The, the, the family of Jesus, his brothers and sisters, we're told by, in the Gospels, uh, they did not believe that Jesus was actually who he said he was. It's kind of hard to blame them. They grew up with the guy. Right? But, but when Jesus goes around telling people, I'm the Messiah, come to fulfill all these Old Testament prophecies, his family said, uh, no, and they distanced himself. There's one story where they go, they try to get him and bring him out of the synagogue because uh, he's teaching and they think he's going insane. They're trying to protect him from himself. 
Um, so in his, in his earthly ministry, uh, Jesus, his brothers, like James, did not believe that he was actually the Son of God. But then, after the resurrection, after, the, after they see Jesus brought back to life, um, the Holy Spirit did his work. And James' heart was changed. And, and James looked at Jesus no longer just as his half-brother from, from childhood, but as the true Son of God, the Savior of the world. And it changed James' life. And James actually became the, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So after the resurrection, after Jesus ascends back into heaven, uh, all, the, all the apostles uh, start to go out into the different parts of the Mediterranean and plant churches, right? The, the church in, in Galatia or the church in Corinth or in, in Philippi or something like that. Um, so the, the church started in Jerusalem, but from Jerusalem, it went out all over the place. James, James stayed in Jerusalem. And James came, became sort of like the de facto uh, leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so James writes this letter. Now, when we read Paul's letters, Paul is writing letters typically to a church that uh, he has already had some interaction with, but he's left and he's writing back to them. And he's writing specific things to a specific church about specific problems that they're having. So when he writes to the, the Galatians, he's writing about a false teaching that has come into the church of Galatia, and he's like, you guys got to not do this. So he writes this letter to the Galatians. Or when he's writing to the Ephesians, same thing, addressing specific things in a specific church that we as, as 21st century Christians can go back and read and, and gain some wisdom and some guidance from. James isn't really written like that. Now, the book of James, the letter of James, is, is written more generally to just to Christians in general. This is life as a child of God. And James's message is, is very pointed and, and very poignant. He's going to challenge our life as a child of God. He's going to ask us to evaluate our life as a child of God. He's going to ask us to look at whether or not the things we say we believe actually show up in the life that we live each day. He's going to ask us to evaluate whether the, the things we say we believe show up in the words that we speak and in the way that we speak them. He's going to ask us to evaluate whether or not we are going to be the kind of people who see someone struggling and help, or are we going to be the kind of people who see someone struggling and turn our back and say, I hope it all works out for you and walk away. Are we going to be the kind of people who see someone caught in a particular sin and just laugh at them and turn around and gossip about it with our other good Christian friends? Or are we going to be the kind of person who sees someone struggling with a particular sin and does what we can to try and pull them out of it and bring them back to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? The very, very challenging book, the very helpful book, and it's not that long, so if you ever wanted to sit down and just read through it, it's five short chapters, you could get through it in a, in a less than a half an hour, I would bet. Um, but you can read it and reread it and reread it and be fed by it and be strengthened by it. And so today, we, we got a short reading from it. Uh, at the end of chapter 13, or three, the end of chapter 3, beginning of chapter 4. Um, and this is one of those sections where, where James is challenging us. He's challenging us to think about how we think about prayer, He's challenging us to think about uh, how we think about division and wisdom. And then he ends, uh, he ends it with this idea here. 
Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That all sounds good, James, but what does that look like? What does that look like in real life? How does that work in real life? Well, I think it's actually easier than we, than we give it credit for. And I want you to think about it in terms of the, the roadrunner and the coyote. Okay, so uh, Martin Luther talked in, in his introduction to Psalm 119, he talked about like three dynamics of a Christian life, or three things that happen to every Christian, three things that sort of make a Christian a Christian, three things that sort of help a Christian mature as a Christian. Uh, and I think we see that mirrored in what James is talking about. So I want to run you through these three things real quick and then see how they connect to Coyote and Roadrunner. Because I didn't just put the cartoons on the screen because I like cartoons. It's because it's helpful. The first thing that that Luther talks about, uh, in Latin he calls it oratio. uh, And really all it is is being being active in the Word of God. It's the Latin word for prayer, but uh, Luther's not just talking about prayer like the Lord's Prayer, prayer like uh, we fold our hands and, and bow our heads type of prayer. He's talking about uh, a life of prayer that's rooted in the Word of God. Letting the Word of God be part of our lives. Studying the Scripture, but not just studying it in the sense that we would typically think of the word study, but also just reading it. Just don't go to it looking for anything. Just, just let it speak. Just work your way through the Psalms. Don't just go to a specific psalm because you know it's going to make you feel better in, in your tough times. Just work your way through the psalms and, and hear what they say. Work your way through the Gospels. You've heard the stories, but you hear them again, and, and they speak to you differently each time. You, just, you read through the story of the Exodus. Luther says just, just go be in the Word of God and let the Word of God speak to you. Let it shape you. It'll change the way you think. It'll change the way you experience life. Just let the Word of God be active in your life. So that, that's, that's the oratio or, or the, the prayer ones, just studying the Word. And the second one uh, is what he would call meditation or meditatio. And really what it is is the, the more intentional study study of God's Word. Now, we don't just read it, but, but we interact with it. We try to figure out what it means. And, and we never do that by ourselves because left to ourselves, uh, we, we never know what direction our mind is going to take us. We've been blessed with the gift of 2,000 years of the Christian church and, and multiple thousand years of God's people before that date and all that back to Adam and Eve. Why, why would I think that just what's in my head is going to be uh, all that I need to know? So he says, go, go out, interact with the, the history of God's word. Talk with other Christians. Engage with other Christians. Study the scriptures. Look for connections. Look for what Jesus does here in the gospel and how it connects to what the prophet said he was going to do back here. Look for how God taught the people to worship over here and how that shows up in the life of Jesus over here. D- dig into the word of God. Lean into it. Dig, uh, study it in, in such a way that not only are you hearing the stories, but, you, but you're seeing how it all fits together. And those two, for, for maybe not to overstate it, but those two are kind of the easy ones. That's, that's, we, we read the scriptures, we think about the scriptures, we study the scriptures, but the real work is done in what Luther would call uh, tentatio. Or in German, he calls it angfechtung, the fun German word to say. Uh, and it, it translates as affliction, tribulation, hardship. The moment where you are forced to ask yourself, do I really believe this? 
It's one thing to, to search through the Scriptures and see how the worship of the Old Testament shows up in the life of Jesus. And it's one thing to read through the Psalms and hear about how good God is. God's going to provide for my needs. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. And then you get that phone call. That phone call that someone that's near and dear to your heart has got a car accident and is no longer with us. Or you go to the doctor's office and, and you get that, the look from the doctor that they can't even really look you in the eye because what's on your chart is not good news. Or you get called into your boss's office at work and he says, quarantine's been hard on our company. We've got to make some cuts. I'm sorry, we've got to let you go. You don't know what you're going to do. Tentatio happens when affliction happens. And we're forced to wrestle with, do I actually believe the things I say I believe? I believe that God is good. I say I believe that God will provide. In those moments of need, forced to, to, to see it. This is the, the parable of the sower, right? The parable of the sower, Jesus says, a sower goes out to sow seeds and he throws some and some falls on the path and some falls in the weeds and some falls in the rocky soil and some falls in the good soil, right? And the stuff that falls on the path, Jesus says, that's the stuff that goes into a hard heart, never takes root. And the stuff that goes uh, into the, the rocky soil, it takes root quickly, but then uh, what, what happens to it? Do you remember that one? When the sun comes out, it scorches it and it dries it up. And the stuff that falls in the good soil grows and produces fruit. But what, what, does, it take? what does it take for a seed to grow and produce fruit? It takes water and sun. It takes the sunlight. The same sunlight that's the affliction that dries out and destroys this plant over here, that same sunlight is the, the thing that makes this plant over here grow because it drives the roots deeper into the water and the soil. That, that tentatio, that affliction, drives us deeper into the Word of God so that we see how His promises play out in our real life. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. So I just want you to think about it like this. I'm just going to leave you with this image. Every single time the coyote tried to catch the roadrunner, the coyote got caught in his own trap. Every single time the coyote tried to catch the roadrunner, the coyote got caught in his own trap. Every single time Satan tries to throw some hardship, some tribulation, some sadness, some loss into your life. Draw near to God, and God draws near to you. We lay it at our Lord's feet in prayer. We bring it to the, to the church, to the people of God. And in the church, the people of God, when we see someone in need, we reach out. We hear about the loss of someone that they have in their family, and so we pick up the phone and we call them. Say, how you doing? Let me take you out for a cup of coffee. I've been praying for you. We see somebody who, who's, who's out of work unexpectedly. Say, hey, let, let, me make you, let me make you dinner. Let me make you a frozen lasagna. I'll throw it in your freezer, and when, when you need to eat it, take it out and eat it. We draw near to God in those hard times. As, as, the, as the body of Christ... We pick each other up in those hard times. And Satan's plan backfires against himself. Is that me again? 
Every time, every time Satan tries to throw a hardship in our life, if that hardship simply drives us to our Lord in prayer, then, then Satan's own tools have backfired against himself, just like the, the coyotes, always traps, always backfire against him. James is encouraging us to draw near to the Lord, to resist the devil in those times, not only of temptation, to sin, but also those times the devil would tempt us to doubt and despair, where he would tempt us to, to think that the God who said he's good, maybe he isn't good, that the God who said, I'll work all things out for the good of those who love me, when we're tempted to doubt that and turn our back on that, when Satan places that thought into our ears, we take it to the Lord in prayer, and Satan's plan backfires against him. We draw near to God, God draws near to us with his word of forgiveness to the people of his church. He's doing it right now. <laughs> and we see, we see God in action. So that's my prayer, prayer for you, for, for this church, my prayer for, for the church throughout the world, that we would be a people who draw near to the Lord in those hard times, that, that, that affliction, that tentatio, that, that iron sharpening iron moments. As James says in chapter 1, suffering produces uh, perseverance, perseverance produces hope, and hope never lets us down. That, that we would take that opportunity to have a godly outlook on the sufferings and the hardships in our lives, that we would be people who see the suffering and the hardship in the lives of those around us and be the, the hands and feet of Jesus to help them and just watch as, as Satan's plans backfire, as we resist the devil as the church and, and he flees off because he doesn't know what else to do. He did his best and it failed. So please pray with me. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the gift of your son and the life that he's given us, that he set us free from the power of the devil. Uh, Lord, we, we ask that you would forgive us for those times that we let the words of Satan have too much sway in our lives and our ears. Um, we ask that you would give us the, the gift of your spirit, give us hearts that would resist the devil, that would trust in you, Trust your promises, even when they don't seem like they're true. Help us to trust in you so that he will flee from us. And also give us eyes to see how we can be a source of hope and comfort to the people around us, uh, to the people who, who are in need. Help us be your hands and your feet uh, and raise us up to be your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.